it turns out, you know, whatever we are doing with tigers or other animals has implications and utility for human health as well. So we are really big into one health. The concept of one health is, you know, 70% of human diseases, they are zoonotic in nature, coming from animals. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss their genomics research and how genomics is shaping their understanding of science and nature. Here's your host, Paul Broman. Well, hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Genomics Podcast. I'd like you to join me today on a very special trip to the country of Nepal. Now, for most of us, thinking about Nepal probably brings to mind visions of climbing or trekking through the vast Himalayan mountain range, or maybe the breathtaking Nepalese landscape with its amazing biodiversity. But my guess is you're probably not thinking about genomics when you think about Nepal. Well, today we're going to talk about genomics in Nepal with Dr. Debesh Karmacharya. Debesh is executive director and co-founder of Nepal's flagship genomics research center, the Center for Molecular Dynamics Nepal, or CMDN. He and his team employ conservation genetics to study some of the world's most endangered animals, especially the Bengal tiger. According to the World Wildlife Fund, only about 2,500 Bengal tigers remain in areas of Southeast Asia. These tigers are apex predators in the wild, which means that they lie at the top of the food chain. And they're also a vital link in maintaining rich biodiversity. Through the Nepal Tiger Genome Project, scientists at CMDN are using genomics techniques to better understand these amazing animals and to aid in tiger conservation efforts throughout Nepal. Dibesh Kamacharya, welcome to the Genomics Podcast. Thank you so much. We're going to be talking about genomics research in Nepal, and I'm super excited today because we're going to focus on a really interesting project that you and your research organization is heading called the Nepal Tiger Genome Project. And we're going to talk about what this project means for the Nepal tiger and the conservation of the species, but also what it means for Nepal. So, Debesh, you are the chairman and executive director of an organization called the Center for Molecular Dynamics Nepal, or CMDN, and that's located in Kathmandu. So tell us a little bit about your background and you know, why you started a high-tech genomics institute in Nepal. So my background is I'm an ecologist. I'm a wildlife biologist by passion. So I went to uh, school here, but right after this, uh, my high school, I went to the U.S. And when I was working in Boston, by the time, you know, I had lived in the U.S. for about 17 or 18 years already, and I wanted to do something back in Nepal. And so I was thinking about how I could take my skills that I have learned in the U.S., to Nepal. And so I started exploring the opportunities here. And one thing that I noticed here was uh, lack of baseline information, uh, especially on infectious diseases. That was the start of the idea of perhaps taking genetics, molecular biology, molecular diagnostics to Nepal to start really working on research projects that would help uncover information that will contribute 
towards those baseline information. I can imagine that when you build CMDN, you probably had to overcome a number of challenges, right? So one of the things I'm interested in is what were the challenges that you had to overcome to make it a reality? But then on the other side of that coin, what did you think some of the advantages were in creating a genomics research institute within Nepal as opposed to doing some of this research from outside? Mm. Yeah, so obviously, you know, Nepal is located in an area in South Asia where the biodiversity is fairly high. And we are also located in an area where we have a lot of diseases as well. So we are located in a very good spot to work on biodiversity as well as disease research also. And having a facility that is close to you know, these biodiversity part as well as disease part almost becomes very important to have that capacity to to basically detect, diagnose, characterize, and understand biodiversity and disease dynamics. So infrastructure-wise, it was a bit of a challenge. Human resources-wise, also, it was a bit of a challenge. But then over the years, we were able to work on all these different components, and we were able to put them together so that we have a very good comprehensive functioning lab now. We have four or five different labs ranging from human diagnostics to, you know, research stuff for molecular biology, immunology, all the way to genomics these days now. I'd like to talk a little bit about those projects. But first, let's talk about the Nepal Tiger Genome Project, because I think in the history of CMDN, this has been a really important project for you. And in this effort, you and your your team are trying, I think you're, you're trying to build the first genetic database of wild tigers. So how did this project get started? And what's the impact of understanding the wild tiger genome for the tiger and also for, for Nepal and the rest of the world? Yeah. So tiger has always been my favorite, one of my favorite animals. These are Bengal tigers that are found in South Asia regions in four different countries that are confined to four different countries now. India has the largest population, followed by Nepal and Bangladesh and Bhutan. And in total, there are less than 3,000 tigers left in the wild. And it becomes very important to then study them, uh, conserve them as well. And before we started doing genetics work on tigers, tigers were basically studied using your camera trap techniques and that sort of thing for population census and all. But we thought, you know, doing genetics, we'll get a lot more information about tigers, their population structure, their subpopulation structure, their uh, interaction between subpopulations. And all of those informations are very vital for overall conservation work. And then there are other utility-based information that also, you know, becomes at a very important part of conservation. So if you really look at tigers, their challenges in terms of conservations are poaching, habitat destruction, and, you know, gene flow or fragmented population, those sort of things. And having a genetic database of tigers, you would be able to do molecular forensics. So we would be able to track tigers or tiger parts at the geospatial location of where they might be coming from. And that eventually gives us the the power to intervene in an area where the poaching is a hotspot. Can you talk a little bit about what genomics approaches you developed 
to create this forensic approach? And you know, how can something like DNA sequence identify the geographic origin of a poached tiger? Right. So what we did on a Nepal tiger genome project, which was funded by USAID here, was systematically go out in the tiger habitat, which is in the southern part of Nepal, and they call it the Tharai Ark landscape. And there are three protected areas, Chitwan National Park being the largest, about 1,000 square kilometers, Bardia, uh, and that is on the eastern, mid-eastern side of the country. And then Bardia National Park, which is also about 1,000 square kilometers, is on the western side, and then there is Suklapata Wildlife Reserve. And so when we went out to collect these samples, we wanted to have a very systematic combing through of all these national parks and also possible corridors that connects these different national parks. So we ended up collecting about 1,200 of these fecal samples in a very systematic way uh, where we have laid out 25 by 25 kilometers, square kilometer grids and comb through whole area for possible tiger scat or fecal matter. We brought them to our lab. And so these are, when we go out and pick them up, we do a geotag on them, get the GPS location of those samples. So we know where we found it. We bring them to our lab and then we do three different things with it, right? And so first we do species identification using mitochondrial marker. So we know whether it's tiger or not. Second, if it is tiger, then we do sex identification using X and Y markers. And then using microsatellite at that time, microsatellite markers, we do the DNA fingerprinting of these identified tigers. So in essence, the estimated population of tigers in Nepal is about 230 or so. And we have a genetic database of about 125 individual tigers from three different national parks. So basically over 60% of the population. And then from a molecular forensic part of it, the way we do it is we work with the Nepal police here. They go out, they catch skins, tiger skins and bones and that sort of thing. They bring it to our lab. And what we do is we first find out whether it's tiger or not. So it's, it's a species identification, whether it's male or female. And then we do DNA fingerprinting on them, and then search in our database to see where it might be coming from. Now, we could have an individual matching, or we can have a matching on a subpopulation level. So the molecular forensic technique that we have developed here has the resolution to basically track a tiger through its parts on an individual level, which is very, very powerful for anti-poaching activities. You mentioned that you're also studying tiger gut microbiome. And for those of our listeners who are not aware, gut microbiome, when we talk about microbiome in the gut, we're talking about all of the microbes and genetic material that you find in the gut of an individual animal. So first of all, on a technical level, how do you compile a microbiome of a tiger? You know, how do you access the sample? And then what have those studies about the tiger microbiome taught us? Right. So it turns out, you know, fecal matter and in the case of cats, it's the scat, they call it, is a very important source of information. So when the feces comes out of their bodies, there is a layer of epithelial cells from inside of their gut that covers the outer layer. And that is the cells that we use to find out about the host, which is tigers. And then 
the fecal matter also contains all the stuff that they have eaten. And then there is microbiome, of course. And so we were interested in microbiome of these tigers, these identified individual tigers for a couple of different reasons, right? So one, we wanted to understand the microbiome profile differences between these subpopulations from a population genetics angle. So what we wanted to kind of really look at is there is a limitation when you do uh, host genome relationship building between subpopulation. And that is when you are doing a phylogenetic study of different individuals from different subpopulation, one of the things that you can't find out is whether these interrelationships are within two generations or 10 generations. What we wanted to kind of establish is recent interaction. And the idea was basically molecular epidemiology, which is if you can somehow track these individuals and build their interrelationship in recent times, that would be much more valuable information. And so that's when we started thinking about microbiome because we thought, well, some bacteria you know, they infect individuals from Chitpan. They could also in, uh, infect individuals from Bardia or Suclopanta. So if you could track those bacteria and study their genome and do establish the phylogenetic relationship, we would be able to establish most recent interactions between subpopulations or individuals. And that was the initial idea. And also we wanted to kind of profile the pathogen that might be involved in you know, causing diseases and therefore, you know, impacting on the, on the conservation overall. So what we did then after we identified these individual tigers from their scat, we also looked into the microbiome profile of these scats as well. So we took 10 individuals from each of these national parks. We profiled the microbiome using next-gen sequencing. And then we really started looking into the alpha diversity and better diversity between these microbiome profiles from these three different national parks. And we saw that in alpha diversity within the population, there wasn't that much of a difference, but between population on a better diversity side of things, there were these differences. And it mirrored exactly like what we saw on the host genome. So in the host genome, when we did the structure analysis, we saw you know, there is this gene flow between Bardia and Suclopata on the western side and not much on the eastern side. We saw the same kind of stuff with the microbiome profile as well. So that's one part that we did. And then the second part that we did was their possible metabolic functionality based on the microbiome profile. And so we also did the, the comparative uh, microbiome-based functional differentiation analysis as well. Sounds like this is like an amazing treasure trove of data about the tiger that just didn't exist, you know, at all at any scale like this before. Yeah, that is correct. And so now we are also doing a couple of other things, right? So we are also profiling the diet of these individuals, these 30 individual tigers that we've been tracking. So we would know because tigers are apex predators, right? And so it is important to understand, we think, that we understand the ecological pyramid and what kind of food are they eating? What kind of deers are they eating? What kind of other mammals they are eating? With the diet analysis, again, using the power of next-gen sequencing or metagenomics or meta barcoding, you would be able to profile what they ate, 
right? And the diet differences between these individuals on individual level or on subpopulation level will shed a lot of information about their, you know, chances of surviving in the future. And the third component of that, what we're also looking into are the viruses as well. So the circular viruses, you know, what are they? What kind of viruses are present? And, you know, what would be the implication of that? The idea, again, is looking things from a landscape genomics perspective, but landscape genomics perspective from all different angles, and you layer it all together to understand the broader sense of these tigers as apex predators, their role in nature, as well as the current status of where they are and future predictability in terms of where they are going to go based on whatever we're seeing now. So you've built this genomic infrastructure at CDMN, and it supports the tiger genome work and studies arising out of that. Another thing I'm interested in is, you know, and you mentioned that you're doing some immunology work at the beginning. So how are you leveraging genomic resources within Nepal toward, you know, studies beyond the tiger, like studies uh, toward human biology? The other big project that, that we have been doing is emerging diseases, basically trying to find out what kind of viruses that might be around that could be next SARS or Ebola and that sort of thing. So again, the tools are very, very similar, right? And so we go out, let's say in a community where they eat bats, we go out and, and you know, screen for RNA viruses in these bats to find out this next, you know, Ebola or Nipah or that sort of thing. But then we also go and concurrently sample humans that are around bats, also sample rodents and, you know, livestock and all that kind of stuff, and then find out these viruses and really look into the spillover dynamics of these diseases from one species to another and produce this predictive health map, so to speak. So emerging disease is another area that we have been working that has both animal and human health implications. We're also working on typhoid, this bacteria, and looking into vaccine efficacy. I'd like to ask you about motivation, right? I mean, uh, obviously, you must be a really motivated guy to, uh, you know, leave the United States and move back to Nepal and start a, you know, basically from scratch, a genomics institute, a high-tech genomics institute. What motivates you to do the kind of work you're doing? I mean, what fuels the passion for the scientific research as well as the entrepreneurial side? Mm, interesting question. I think <laughs> what motivates me is the fact that, you know, we are able to do what we do and the possibilities are endless. The needs are endless as well. The challenges are endless too. So contributing, if I set up the same thing in the US, you know, uh, I wouldn't be too different from a lot of the other efforts that are happening there. But having the ability to do it here at source where the challenges are, like I mentioned before, of a tall order where we have, you know, problems with the healthcare delivery, problems with disease detection, surveillance, characterization, that sort of thing. Basically, you feel very gratified to be able to contribute to the community or to the area where this is much more needed. And that is, I think, is one of the motivating factors for me. And also, what has happened now is, you know, with the globalized world, the effort here is not isolated. As a matter of fact, we collaborate a lot with 
you know, leading institutions from all over the world, U.S. primarily, but in Europe, in Australia, and in the region as well. So what we develop here and work here and lessons learned here can be applicable to a lot of the countries around the world. And it turns out, you know, a lot of developing countries and even developed countries have same kind of problem. And to be able to work on it and come up with, you know, novel solution is, is a great motivating factor. What excites you about the future of applying some of these genomics technologies to studying ecological diversity? And what does the future look like for CDMN? And do you think that what you've built in Nepal can be used as a model for some of the developing countries that are, you know, also trying to build out their genomics research infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So moving forward, where we're going next is we're going next in terms of saving our environment, understanding our environment, understanding our biodiversity, preserving, conserving our natural heritage. That is my, my passion. Moving forward, in the case of biodiversity, we would like to give more clear picture of what we have and what we should preserve and conserve and really basically do the risk assessment between human development and preserving our natural heritage and whether there are innovative ways of supporting humans from a livelihood perspective in an alternative way. And so, for example, you know, we're now doing this environmental DNA stuff to profile fish out in the river and using scoop of water, then we'd be able to tell what kind of fish are floating around. That has two utility. One, we would understand what those aquatic biodiversity looks like. Second, Nepal is rich in water resources, so there has been a lot of effort on making hydropowers and all that. But what are the environmental impact of making that dam, making that hydropower? Are we losing too much by doing that without understanding what we have in the nature? So that's where we want to go next. And the second part where we want to go with the disease part is prevention right? On the prevention front, so we are building this vaccine, a research manufacturing development facility here. The front end part of it is basically understanding the disease first. Where are they? What are the pathogens? What are different kinds of strains and how they are interlinked? How are they impacting on the overall human or animal health kind of situation? And when we make vaccine, how effective are they going to be in, you know, containing these, these pathogens? So a very systematic approach of disease management is what we are interested in, and that's where we're going next. That's wonderful. Dibesh, I think the work that you're doing is really amazing. And I think in some ways, in many ways, I think it's very timely. The pressures on the environment, pressures on land use, on loss of ecological diversity, I think those are huge challenges for the future. And I think it's really tremendous that this work that you're doing is, is really going to have enormous benefits and consequences for not just for Nepal, but for the rest of the world. I want to thank you for spending a lot of time, a lot of your time, and sitting down and talking with us about these really important and, and interesting issues. And thanks for joining us on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Thank you, Paul, for giving me this opportunity to talk about our work. 
So despite infrastructure and human resource challenges, creating a genomics facility in a highly biodiverse region like Nepal offered a unique capacity to understand biodiversity and disease dynamics. Comprehensive, non-invasive genomics technologies hold the promise of enhancing broader conservation efforts for the Bengal tiger, as well as other endangered animals throughout the world. If you're interested in learning more about CMDN and their many programs on wildlife genetics and public health, visit their website at www.cmdn.org.np. And hey, if you liked our show today, why not subscribe to the Genomics Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also hear our show by asking Siri, Alexa, or your Google Assistant. Just say, play the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Join me next time when I'll be talking with Professor Susan Clark, Research Director of Genomics at the Garvin Institute of Medical Research. We'll be discussing the importance of epigenetics in early development and in cancer, right here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. <laughs>